0: Welcome to In the Envelope, an awards podcast. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage. I'm here to give you a front row seat to the Emmys, Oscars, SAG, and Tony's races. Who is in the running? What makes an award-worthy performance? And what are the secrets to giving one? These intimate, inspirational conversations with some of today's most talented stars provide you, dear listener, the kind of craft and career advice that could win you a statue of your own, and maybe, just maybe, a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope.
1: It's so great that you're worried it's going to be taken away, and so I wish... Mm -hmm. I had gone, you know, I wish that I could go back on my first day and have someone tell me like, just, you know, you're going to be here for 12 and a half years. And then I really would have enjoyed all
2: of it. (laughs) Hi, welcome back. Thank you. I'm very happy to be back. (laughs) For people
0: who might not remember your exact voice,
2: who are you again? I'm Elise Elise I'm a senior editor here at backstage how
0: have you been
2: (laughs) I've been great it's been Emmy's frenzy
0: Emmy's frenzy for you not so much Tony's frenzy
2: not so much Tony's frenzy. but still
0: very very busy well we've been busy this is our final episode of the last month of straight Tuesdays every Tuesdays and Thursdays I'm I've been working very hard Jamie's been working very hard thank you Jamie but it's all been worth it because these interviews have been, have been great. Yeah,
2: there's, this has been a great lineup.
0: It's such a great lineup. And to cap us off, this is our last episode before because we are in Emmy nominating now where this is ending our Emmys episodes. Our guest today is Seth Meyers.
2: Yes, one <laughs> of my absolute faves. I have um, been <laughs> annoying you for, to no end about...
0: Not annoying. Just from
2: the beginning of this process to the end, mm-hmm. I have not shut up about... Your oh, interactions with Seth Meyers. Now,
0: why is that? Is it partly because of the um, Illinois connection? Yep. Um,
2: yes, that. But I also just think he's one of the smartest, funniest. Yeah. He gives lots of opportunities to writer, female writers, writers of color. Sure. It, and you can just tell his show is so smart. Yeah. And his so much, so much of the best of SNL during his time was written by him or yep. co-written by him. Do you have
0: and like a favorite, favorite, favorite Seth Meyers moment? Like of all of the things Ugh, he's ever done. That's been? such a good
2: question.
0: <laughs> is it Stefan with Bill Hader? Yeah, Stefan I think when Hader. Seth
2: was leaving the show, I think that was when they did the yeah. Stefan and they they did a whole. One of them was leaving. It was one. Well, yeah, one of them was leaving. Yeah. They did a wedding. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So good. Seth has like the Stefan like little Russian doll on his, on desk, his desk, and I also have one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're hardcore.
2: Yeah.
0: It's, yeah. Um, I would say this interview is like both super backstagey and has lots of, like, advice for getting into comedy, getting into writing, get, like, his rise to success is super, super interesting and there's stuff to take yeah. from that. But at the same time, not a typical in-the-envelope interview at all. He's not an actor-actor. No, he, but he he's worked with
2: performers all the time right. and he was a performer. He just yes. does, didn't particularly take to that lifestyle. He's pretty
0: self-deprecating about that. And, and one thing about this interview, <laughs> listeners... We did actually do, kind of for the first time, we did audience questions. We did take a couple of questions from Twitter. I think it was like a really hopeful, like hearing about him auditioning for SNL and then crying at 30 Rockefeller Center. That's like a good backstagey story. Yeah. And everyone
2: loves a good SNL audition audition story. story. Totally. How do you get onto SNL? That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the secret is all of the user submitted questions were forever from me. Um, (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised at all. (laughs) Not true, but it might as well have (laughs) been.
0: At secret Seth Meyers fan. (laughs) Elise, thank you so much for joining us again. We're going to, you you and I are signing off until whenever the next round of episodes is, which may be after Emmy nominations. And the envelope listeners, thank you so much for uh, joining us. And uh, you're in for a treat. This is a good one. Thanks for having me. A fixture of late-night TV specifically at the headquarters of NBC at 30 Rockefeller Center, Seth Meyers is the host of the acclaimed Late Night with Seth Meyers. With roots in Illinois, Michigan, and New Hampshire, Seth studied comedy in Chicago and Amsterdam before auditioning for Saturday Night Live in 2001, where he worked for 13 years as a performer, head writer, and Weekend Update host. Here it is, our interview from Seth's late-night offices on the 8th floor of 30 Rock. Feel nice. free to How hi. Hey. Hi, 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 Jack. What's nice your name, sir? I'm Jack. Hi, Jack. Jack Smart. Hi, Jane. What's up? Not much. How are, are you? we recording? I am recording. Thank you so much for rep- my pleasure. You, it's good to see a behind-the-scenes yes. look at the process. What's up today? Is today a typical day in the
1: life? Yeah, it's pretty typical.
0: Um, good.
1: Pretty normal, but uh, <clears throat> it's nice when you excuse me get to do it every day you tend to get in a rhythm and uh, in a good way yeah in a good way there aren't a lot of days that completely throw us off our axis which is a nice feeling yeah particularly coming from SNL where I feel like it happened a lot more
0: yeah which is like the boot camp for any
1: other yeah everything's a little bit easier after that everything yeah childbirth everything childbirth <laughs> well I would say I bet my wife would take issue with me saying childbirth was a breeze right yeah
0: yeah um, everyone's talking about that. Every, I know everyone talked about your second child being born in the hallway of the building. Yeah, lobby. Building the yeah. lobby
1: baby. <laughs> He's just turned one. He's Pretty totally legendary. normal now. It turns out you can have a baby in a lobby and they have a completely normal upbringing. Who'd <laughs> have thunk? Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's great. So, um... We're with Backstage Magazine. Great. Right? You, are you familiar with us? Did you ever...
1: I'm familiar with Backstage okay. Magazine, but not as a... You weren't yeah. circling auditions. No, I wasn't. Yeah.
0: You were never like a struggling New York actor type.
1: I think that's a very good thing because I don't... Based <laughs> on the quality of New York actors, I think I would have continued to struggle.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah. And I want to ask you about that, too, because like, I mean, this podcast is mostly geared towards actors, so I think you're a really interesting guest because like... I really like when you talk shit about your own acting on SNL. Yeah, I have no
1: problem talking shit about my own acting. If you feel like that will, uh, I don't think
0: is bad. Bring joy all. to our
1: listeners. I'm happy to talk about it.
0: But we do like hearing we do like hearing the perspective of people,
1: you know, sure. early
0: career struggling artists. Yes. So, first of all, where did you come from?
1: What was the journey? Uh, you know, I uh, born in uh, Chicago and uh, worked our way around a little bit, but mostly. I would say I grew up in New Hampshire right. in the suburbs and went to a wonderful public high school and had a great experience there, but did not do stage stuff, didn't do any of the, did not have the confidence to try out for school plays, mm-hmm. but we did do a couple of comedy nights, my brother and I and some friends of ours, which were nothing more really than just doing a couple of written scripts, a couple of um, Old Monty Python sketches or SNL oh, sketches, amazing. that sort of thing. But they were very well attended, and um, I would say that was the first time I got a taste of the um, addiction
0: of the performing aspect of it.
1: Yeah, performing and, and positive feedback.
0: Right. And when you say attended, were you like also kind of in a hosting position?
1: Not really at that point. Yeah. I mean, I was. Uh, I I was considered a funny person in high school, but more from. Um, I think the back of the class kind of funny as opposed to front uh-huh. of the class funny. Uh, with that said, you know we would do we had TVs in the homerooms and and my friends and I would record morning announcements. Um, oh, you know on fun. on uh, you know those giant old video cameras. So there were there were elements of performance, but it wasn't until I went to Northwestern, I was a radio, television, film major. My plan okay. going there was I'm going to be a movie director. And oh, my okay. new student week at Northwestern, I saw Northwestern's improv troupe, hmm. uh, which is a, a improv. I did not realize at the time, but as uh, college improv troupes go, uh, Meow is a pretty good one. Gotcha. Uh, Julie Dreyfus, uh, Steve Colbert. Sure. Over the years, they've they've fed a lot of people into um, Chicago, you know, in has a Chicago in general. Chicago in general. It made sense that Northwestern would have a good one. Yeah. And. Uh, and so that became my goal, which was to do that College Improv uh, troupe. And then I auditioned every year and I only got in my senior year. Oh. Yeah. See, that's what we like hearing about. Yeah. <laughs> I did, you know, use, I started going, I would take the subway into Chicago and uh, the L, I should say. It's an elevated subway in Chicago. Yeah, Not even a subway. I kind of want to keep saying sub. You're a um, New Yorker now. Yes, an elevated train. But... uh <laughs> I would take the L to Chicago, and there was a theater there called Improv Olympic, and I took classes right. there, oh, okay. and I would go see shows there, and that was a real golden age of improv in Chicago. Mm. So that was the first time I laid eyes on people like Tina Fey and Horatio Sands and Rachel Dratch, Amy Poehler, and, uh, Colbert, Carell, and it was great. I you know I realize now. At the time, I thought, oh, my God, everyone's so good at improv. And then I realized, no, I just happened to be in the very the specific place where people were mm-hmm. great. Gotcha. And so, yeah. uh, but then I I took classes. And then my senior year at Northwestern, I did, I finally got into the improv troupe. And, and despite, you know, also having made my parents pay for a very expensive education, <laughs> I realized, I think I'm going to try to be an improviser. I think that's, I'm going to leave this with a diploma okay. and the goal to be an improviser. Because that's what
0: I was going to ask is, like, at what point did this become... First, the idea of a career, like, oh, this could be could be a career. And yeah. then at what point was it the career?
1: I, I do remember standing on stage for our last college show and thinking, mm-hmm. all right, I'm going to try to do this until it world. seems irrational. Mm-hmm. I'll at least throw it out there. And so then I went, I moved to Chicago, and I started waiting tables. Mm-hmm. And I, was in it, I would uh, improvise. And pretty quickly, uh, there was... Um, uh, sort of our backstage was a, there's a Chicago oh. paper called The Reader uh-huh. uh, that had audition notices. Uh, okay. And there was an audition notice for an improv theater in Amsterdam uh, in the Netherlands. Right. Called Boom Chicago. This is the next chapter. This after. is the next chapter. Yeah. And it happened pretty quickly. It was only about six months after I graduated. Uh, okay. But some Chicago guys had gone to Amsterdam and they'd started sort of a second city inspired theater there. And they had auditions. So and I we went as a lark. The auditions, okay. you know, my, my best friend and I went. And we got, it was three days of auditions. It was, I, I feel like it oh, was wow. a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And on Saturday night, we got a call saying, we want you to move to Amsterdam. And I, at the time, I didn't have a passport. <gasps> I didn't have much of a plan. But it was that great thing of being uh, an age where you know, kind of go, well, I'm 23. You're right after college, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I might as well. Lean into the chaos? Yeah. Yeah. And it. Uh, <laughs> I'm so glad I did. Sure. You know, for every element of it, you know, even if it had meant nothing for me career-wise, if it hadn't moved the football at exactly. all there, it was so great to live in Europe for a couple of years, particularly sure. there. And as yeah. European countries went, I feel like, you, it's hard to find a place where the English is better than Holland. Mm-hmm. So you could actually do comedy and you didn't feel like it had to be, um, you know, slapstick, all physical comedy. <laughs> you could actually do <laughs> uh, verbal comedy, which, uh, Oh, I um, see. Words. Give you guys a little inside. Verbal comedy is kind of my bread and butter. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but it was great. And, and the best thing about it was just the... Um, Stage reps, I think it was two years where I was basically doing two hundred shows a year. And so there's oh, no hmm. um, there's no replacement for that as far as right learning your own. That's skill boot camp.
0: Right. Yeah. And getting familiar with your own voice, is it yeah, safe to say? Very yeah. much so. And your skills. Yep. And how what's the ratio of like acting and writing
1: there? Half and half. Okay. I mean, we wrote our own shows, so it was a great You know, chance to try things, see how they went. And because you did a show every night, you could rewrite it the next afternoon, try Mm. it again. And, you know, those are obviously things that the rest of my career has had in common with. But uh, it was a great incubator for ideas and and trying to figure out what made an audience that had a lot of different... Um, um, you know some nights were tourist heavy some nights super, were Dutch yeah. heavy some some nights were older some nights were younger and uh, it was great to try to find that, that middle of an audience every night yeah that's challenging yeah you gotta adapt to that and exciting I mean there is still that thrill of and even now rarely but there are times where I perform abroad and it's so exciting to make people laugh in a different country. Like It feels uh, a little bit like a superpower. It sure. makes you think, oh, okay, these are all variations of the people I grew up with. Making them laugh is just mm. a extrapolation out from what I would have expected. But if you can go uh, other places and make people laugh, it's really fun. Uh,
0: okay. So I've heard it. I feel like these days, especially in the world of comedy, people don't compartmentalize actor or writer. It's all kind of lumped. Together, First of all, you mentioned movie director. Yeah. Did that, like, fade, or was that yeah. still...
1: Yeah, it faded pretty quick for me. Okay. When I went to college, I realized how much patience it requires to be a film director uh-huh. and how many decisions you have to make. <laughs> you know, that <laughs> okay. ultimately, being a director is just, do you feel confident making decisions and yes. owning them? Yes. Um the, a level of ego is required and I don't mean it in sure. a negative way when I say an ego like you want the people in charge on a movie set to yeah. believe in themselves and believe in the choices they make right. and I am such a second guesser that's why More improvising writer. was great for oh, me okay. one improviser was great for me because we didn't have time to second guess oh, okay. and writing is uh, I also like because you can procrastinate in a way that I don't think you can. You can't show up as a director on the uh, movie With set and nothing. say, "Hey, I'm gonna need one more day. <laughs> Send home uh, all the lighting guys. Right. right, right we don't right. need sound today. Maybe I there's thought. more wiggle room in the writer's yes. life. Yeah. Um, so that, and I think I always identified the most as a writer. Sure. And the uh, performing was, was this really nice uh, gravy for me. And and is it safe to say that performing up on stage,
0: especially for like. A variety of audiences helps than the writing.
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, especially, you know, the writing for yourself. The things, ah. the more you say things on stage, the more you learn to write for yourself on stage. Oh, okay. Whereas at SNL, you learn to write for other actors by watching them.
0: Totally. Yeah. For years and years and years. Like, yeah. You had a head start with people like Tina Fey, where, like, I feel like one of your guys' skills is writing for other people. Yeah. Stuff that they can do that is funny because it's them.
1: And the things they can do that you can't. I don't, I don't want to speak for mm. Tina, but you know, I the hardest thing when I started SNL I was <clears throat> I started as a cast member and all mm. cast members are sort of asked or there's an expectation they'll write for themselves as well. Oh. But I just started writing for other people because it was they all had these really cool toolboxes that I didn't have. I felt sure. like I showed up with a you know, a hammer. Just and a hammer. then everybody else had like, you know, like that drill that has like 85 different attachments. Uh-huh. And you're like, wow. You know, I as much as I'd like to be on camera this week, yeah. I feel like if I wrote this for Will Ferrell, it would maybe get on TV. <laughs> so, so just be better. I see. So I was actually told a lot early on to, to try to find a way, like focus more on writing for yourself and a little bit less for other people. But yeah. the way I survived was I wrote a lot of group sketches where I would have a couple of lines, but ultimately uh-huh. the, the success and failure of the sketch wasn't entirely on me. More of a supporting yes. role. Yes. I, I tried to be the lead behind the uh, camera and the supporting role on camera.
0: That's amazing. And like... I, these like you said, you didn't know it was a golden age or like a golden or like a group of people that was like going to kinda of change comedy very much mainstream. Yeah.
1: You were just kind of following your gut the whole time. Yeah. I mean I don't even know if I would have ended up in Chicago if it wasn't for the fact that my parents had gone to school there and, and I don't know if mm. I would have gone downtown and, and seen Second City if my parents hadn't said it was a thing they did when they were in college. And mm. so there were a lot of just good pieces of luck and and then also, you know, when I then came back from Amsterdam and, and found my way to a SNL audition. You know, those all those people that I used to see. There were so many of them were then at SNL, mm. uh, not just on uh, camera but also on the writing staff. Wow. And so it, it that was an era too, where the pipeline to SNL was very Chicago centric. It's it's le- I mean Chicago still feeds the show, but I think it's mm. less the uh, main road right. that it was in the early two thousands. You had UCB and, late and you had. Yeah, well it made sense because a lot sure, of yeah. a lot of Chicago migrated to New York, in that you know, UCB is very much a Chicago-inspired theater, and it used to be that I think people from New York, if they wanted to be improvisers, would feel the need to go to Chicago. And I, I think when you look at UCB in LA and UCB in yeah. New York, it's a lot less unique what's yeah. happening in Chicago. I still think it's a, I still think there's something unique about a Chicago audience that I highly recommend for young people who are who are trying to get their start. I and mean, Chicago is yes. a little bit more affordable, and and it is that nice middle of the country audience that. And I don't mean that to be you know derisive in any way uh, you know chicago's full of uh, really smart people and uh, really theater committed people mm. but also that intelligent theater going audiences from all walks of life mm. it's not it's not just a uh, entertainment professional that goes to shows in, in chicago sure
0: It's kind of like, I mean, people must ask you all the time, like, where should I go to do comedy, and how do I do the comedy, and is there like a one piece of advice you always give?
1: Well, you know, the strangest thing is just how much comedy's changed even in 20 years. Mm -hmm. I think if 20 years ago you'd ask me, I would say, I think Chicago's a great place to go right after college. I don't know if that's as necessary now. Also, you know, 20 years ago, nobody was getting discovered based on videos they were posting online. In their living rooms or whatever, yeah. Yeah. And you know, uh, I think that in general, you know, probably true of not just comedy, but any sort of form of mm. performing, like it changed, the generationally has such giant true. shifts. But the one thing I'll say is, you know, you know, 20 years ago it was like, get up on a stage and, and now mm. it might be, you know, upload videos, but I think you wanna just increase the odds that you will be seen by somebody who matters. Mm. So if you were a stand up, find your way up on stage, mm. uh, because ultimately good things can happen if you're at home. So, sure. you know, increase your own odds. Try to make your own increase luck. Increase your
0: own odds, which another way of saying that is also, like, build a community and build connections, right?
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, when – especially, I, you know, we do a Q&A most nights and, and like, mm. audience members will ask, you know, oh, that cool. advice. And it is, like, there are these communities and, and, you know, certainly, unfortunately, in some cases you have to pay for classes, which I know is hard for people. But there are always places to go where – you can find other like-minded people, and if you're a writer, you need other people to read it. No one is a good enough writer to also be able to judge their work. Um, without you know, someone un- else. Yeah, without bias, and so. That's great advice uh, too, yeah. And uh, also, you know, somebody from every group, someone will break through first. Someone will get into the, the real world of professional show right. business first. And so, mm. they tend to throw the ladder down. And the other thing I would say about that is, uh, I think sometimes people think, I'm gonna start being a nice person, uh, when I get hired at a real job. Oh, no. But you want to say no, because the people everyone will remember how you behaved your whole life. So if you think that you're someone who will one day need a favor, uh, start being someone who is worthy of a favor now.
0: Yeah. The thinking of I'll be nice later doesn't doesn't well, track. I mean
1: I you know I will and also, really, I'll reflect back on me. It wasn't nice, but I was in I was an intern at Comedy Central in the summer of ninety five before Amsterdam. Before Amsterdam. College. Before my senior year of college. Uh, and uh, I was... It was a really fun internship, but I think it dawned on me about halfway through that I wasn't actually doing work that was being noticed or recognized. You know, it was just busy work. Internship. Yeah. yeah that's and thing. Uh, And then I just kind of coasted through, thinking that no one would notice, and they did. I then remember just having going to my boss and he said, I just want to give you an evaluation. We all thought you were really good and then we all thought you were kind of really bad. And it just like, I remember feeling it in my chest because, you know, I thought I was smart enough to get away with being, um, doing it on my own terms and realizing Mm -hmm. no, like good managers and and good people who are then looking to, you know, elevate staff, they also pay attention to the people who have the least important job to make sure they do it with a, a level of appreciation that you would then want them to have on the next job up. I see. People notice. People notice. I would say that to young mm. people. Yeah. People notice. Sure. Yeah. Um, what do you remember about the SNL audition? You just had the one. Yeah, I just had the one. So I hadn't, and I had not been crushing it. I had gone out to LA for six months, and I I got cast mm. in one, I did one episode of Spin City with mm-hmm. Charlie Sheen, mm-hmm. and then, uh, who was lovely? I remember all the years later when things fell <laughs> apart. My first thought was, "He was a lovely guy to me," okay. and I was just a day player. Um, but then I, uh, I auditioned twice via uh, tape. They'd asked you to put yourself on tape, cool. and uh, again, this is. Uh, you know that there's a moment that will happen to all of you I don't know if it's happened to you yet where you realize when you talk about your past it's like seven technologies back where I had someone I had to like find a friend with a camera I had to go to his house his camera recorded it on the little videotape that then you had to take to like a storefront that it. would transfer it onto VHS. Sure. Then you'd take that to a Kinko's. So you, sure. you couldn't send somebody a link. It was just, totally. and I remember when I started at SNL, you used to go in the talent department, it was just stacks and stacks of VHS tapes. Now, you know, mercifully, it's like, there's no not.
0: wonder how, yeah, no wonder it's hard to get in.
1: Exactly. <laughs> With that said, you know, links get lost on emails too, sure. but. Sure. I uh, so I sent in a tape, uh, and then six months later they asked for a second tape, and I. Uh, and by the way, this was a woman who had seen me uh, doing a two person show in Chicago on stage. On stage, okay. And that had sort of started the ball rolling, and then they hmm. said they were going to fly me in for an audition, and I've never worked harder on an audition. And for oh. me, you know, I always had trouble, and and again, I don't, I don't want to seem like I'm. I really I do think because I've been around great actors and great cold readers and, and people at SNL mm-hmm. who you could tell them what you wanted them to do and they would just bring it alive 20 seconds later. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had just been given a script and, and had two weeks to work on a script, I just don't think, I think I would have overthought it and it would have oh. just felt, had no life to it. But because the SNL edition was writing it as well, it became this living thing for me yeah. and it uh, allowed me to keep working on it and keep trying to find new ways to approach it. And so it always wow. stayed new enough for me to, uh, I think, be... Uh, It brought the best out of me, that format. Okay. Um, And I didn't know Rachel Dratch, but we were. I had a friend of a friend who knew her, and I talked to her on the phone, and she gave me great advice, which wasn't even advice. It was more a thing that I then passed along to everybody I ever talked to, which is no one will laugh um, because it's a really tight room. Uh, But the reality is (laughs) it's not no one. You will get some laughs. But if you're told no one will laugh and then you get three laughs, you feel great. Right, you know, because totally. then you think, "Oh my God, I got the first three laughs yeah, that ever, ever. happened here." <laughs> and uh, right. and my audition went, you know, it uh, it went well. Like, and I say that as someone who is a very harsh judge of my own uh, talents and results. But it was, <laughs> uh, I kind of walked off thinking, "Oh, all right." Like you, if you hadn't gotten it, you would have been like, "That was my best audition." Yes, yes. and that was. I will say, uh, uh, not to uh, be too maudlin, I oh uh, I. I did not realize how emotional it had been to audition for Saturday Night Live, which was my favorite show. I literally um, walked outside, sat outside of 30 Rock, and just started to sob. Where outside? <laughs> where exactly? What street? I, uh, <laughs> I, I feel like there's, with like things they don't, I feel like they used to have like benches around the trees outside of 30 Rock, okay. and then, um, I don't know, uh, I you feel like- You can get farther away enough from the building in case somebody sees you? I didn't even, I don't no. think so. You couldn't make it that I far. I couldn't even make it that far. <laughs> Um, I love hearing about that stuff Public breakdowns That's great Yeah It was a good public breakdown That's great I can't There's New York City though Like you can't walk Everybody's crying Like you can't go two or three blocks Without seeing someone having a breakdown Completely Yeah You have to do it on the subway Well the other great thing is In New York you feel very confident That it's not like anybody's gonna stop You know what I mean Like Totally So I think I mean if you have a breakdown In like Indianapolis Some nice midwesterner Is gonna take you back to their house And make you (laughs) soup But in New York City It's like oh boy another one
0: Yeah uh, it's is something isolating, but in a good way, maybe. Yeah, it, it is. Can be.
1: Ultimately, <laughs> your bedroom or a main thoroughfare in New York City are about as private a place. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It's both soul-crushingly depressing and like yeah. kind of great. You know, um, did, are there impersonations that you had to do in the audition? That was I part did. Of the,
1: uh, remember, this so is two thousand one. Uh, Russell Crowe David Arquette, Hugh Grant. Boom, boom, boom. There they are. Those are the three. Those are the three. Really, and again, very useful two thousand one audition. Very 2001. Yeah. Then I did, I think in the end, I only did Hugh Grant once on the show. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah. and then I, my uh, producer here now, Mike Shoemaker, who was there then, I tried doing Russell Crowe and then finally was told, you cannot do Russell Crowe on television because your head is exactly half the size this is. <laughs> and the one thing you can't do with an impression is change the size of your head.
0: The shape of the head,
1: the size of the oh, head. The you know, like that thing. Head. Like I look, you're looking at me right now. It's not like no part of this is like reading Russell Crody. Not really. Yeah. I but I've not th- I've
0: not thought of him as like. Oh
1: yeah, it's a big guy. <laughs> so you know every you know everyone. I've learned. I, I will you say, all the dish. M- mo- you realize a lot of movie stars, most movie stars have really big heads. I think they do. They're not... Not they Genuine. No, I'm both. But they a big head looks really good on television, uh, like on screen. <laughs> on screen? Okay. Yeah. There are okay. very few actors who end up having smaller heads than you think they would have. <laughs> newsmen, too. This. Uh oh, okay. Like when newsmen are on the show... A lot of them are taller than you think, and they all have big yeah. watermelon heads. I'm gonna have to think about this yeah.
0: next time I see anyone on TV. At yeah. this point, um, this is such a cheesy question, but I get asked because I want to ask about interviewing. Yes, okay. And maybe even what that has to do with like acting and performing, and like the art of listening mm-hmm. and the art of like responding and reacting. Yeah. Get the tacky question out of the way first. Like, who has been a favorite person of yours to interview, like in your lifetime, or or even just met or worked with
1: on SNL? Oh, I mean, there's so many. I've been you know, I've been working specifically in this building with the same ID pass since two thousand one. So there's I've crossed paths with a lot of great people. Right. I mean <clears throat> some of my favorite SNL hosts are Julie Wee Dreyfus and you know, Justin Timberlake. John Hamm was somebody who really surprised mm. me and the kind of performer he was. And then here, you know, there are people like I mean, Joan Rivers was one of my favorite interviews uh, ever, but it wasn't really an interview. I just set her up for jokes. It, yeah. There was nothing genuine or honest about the interaction. I was just one of the other audience members with a better right. seat. Right, right, um, But those, and it also felt like, I think, what talk show appearances were like in the 70s, you know? That you just, like, uh-huh. as a Johnny Carson, you just would say things like, do you have a family? And then they would do five minutes and on their it. family. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and so you, so do you like those guests? I it's... like I like the longer that you do this, you know what kind of guests you have. You figure it out in the first couple questions, you know, and some people need your help. Yeah. Some people look at you. Some people look at the audience, you know, when they tell uh-huh. a story. And yeah. you realize that's up to them. You know, I like to sure. just, um, mm. I feel as though it's my job to be the reactive one and it's my job to see what they need. And some people need help. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And some people really would... Uh, are, are better served if you sort of stay out of the way and let them do their thing. Right. And so, uh, but really, you know, if there was, the interviewing part was no other job I'd had before had anything in common with that, save for uh, being a listener and listening being such a key mm-hmm. skill to being an improviser. Mm-hmm. So there are nights where I can tell I'm doing a worse job of listening. Like uh, in the moment or when you look back on it? In the moment. Okay. I sometimes realize, sometimes I get a little caught up in the just the logistics. If sometimes I'm aware of, I have three minutes left. There are two more things I want to sure. ask. And so when a, when your mind, well, you realize when your mind's also doing that, you're probably not as in it on the you know end yeah, of I'm every sentence. i keeping
0: an eye on my time too. Yeah, yeah exactly. I know
1: that's a part of it. And yeah. and by the way, you know it's. Uh, as unobtrusive as possible, you know, we have somebody who just flashes a card for me, but yeah, you know, and it's very rare, but you know, sometimes you're more conscious of that. Yeah. Sometimes there's, you know, and we try, I try not to have a blueprint of, of how much I want to have happen in an interview. Right. But sometimes there's something important that you realize, oh, you know, I I do want to make sure I ask this. And so, you know, and, and, uh, Wait, you probably know this as well, but sometimes people are very long winded in their answer. And then, so yeah. while they're talking, mm-hmm. if you have a finite time, you then have to start dropping the other things you were going to ask. The, the order of importance. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, which is different on live TV than yes. it is on like, like, we can trim stuff on this, for example.
1: And like, and you have, I mean, it is interesting to do uh, talk show interviews in an era where there is a thriving podcast industry because oh, hmm. ultimately now, hmm. It's a you. If you love someone, I'm guessing you might get more out of a out of an hour form. long podcast yeah. than. But hmm. who knows? I, I do think, think there. You just realize, oh, these are two different things, and and I have to be aware that yeah. I don't have to go that deep with this person because there are now other options for where people can get that depth.
0: I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, our attention spans are shrinking, so you you have to keep it quicker.
1: But it's so interesting. There's, I think, there's shrinking if you can't do a second thing. I think the great thing about podcasts oh. is um, that you can listen to them and do a second thing.
0: Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
1: You know, I don't know if people can exercise and watch my show as well as they could exercise and listen to this conversation. And we do. Totally. If we can take a moment for whoever is exercising and listening right now. Keep it up. Shout out. Keep yeah. it up. I think hey, you're, you're doing, doing great. great. Yeah. Uh, that so that's was weird. good. I think we both agree they're doing great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, you mentioned, like, Johnny Carson, and I want to go back to that idea of, like, you said, and I think it's true, writing on your own only gets you so far, and right. you do need other input. Yes. But the influences in your life, like, you said that you reenacted Monty Python skits. Yeah. So, if I mean, would you recommend that's, like, does that actually help you construct comedy or, or familiarize yourself with how comedy works if you're, like, Johnny Carson asks a question this way, like, has does that help your interviewing or Monty Python then I kind of get how comedy works now.
1: I think you I I wouldn't say like I remember there was a kind of person I knew who uh, would approach it encyclopedically like I'm going to watch everything I'm going to you know Mm. I think like if you are someone who wants to be in comedy if you just watch things the the important things are going to get through to you like I don't subconsciously yeah. yeah you know again it wasn't I wasn't reenacting Monty Python skits to learn about them. I was re- reenacting right. them because I thought it'd be fun to do right. and then in the process mm. learned about them. But uh, right. it was very little of it was ever done with a end result in my of a career. I, I mean, it, I, look, I ended up, it was very lucky that my first job in show business was on the show that I feel like taught me the skills that got me my job in show business. I definitely learned how to write on Saturday Live by watching Saturday Night Live. Um, Amazing. I don't think I'm the only person that's true of. Obviously, it's weird that there's this show out there that has been around for so right. long that it people have also like used it as their education. Um, Super so bizarre. Yeah. And then it, you know, obviously now like and and then from there I came to another format, which was oh, this is another thing that I've been watching on and off for my whole life. Just yeah. the idea of late night shows. So it wasn't. Uh, in either case it, or in neither case I should say was it a reinvention of the wheel it was just oh how okay. wh- what could I bring to this that's different while at the same time understanding the pieces that the go into it basic format yeah. and
0: so and that's been true of, of this gig yes. we can call it that you're not reinventing the wheel but you do look to make tweaks like I remember you you stood up at first I did and then you yeah. said I'm gonna, I'm
1: gonna do said, uh, what's comfortable yeah it was Things so funny to magic. be wrong about what would make me comfortable. It was... It's Maybe it's more important than people realize. Yeah. I think there's also that, you know, fortune favors the brave idea of just take these big risks and... See what happens. Yeah, and see what happens. But the reality was, that, you know, I started the show when I was 40 years old. The reality was, like, I was good at the things I was good at. And yeah. I, I don't know if, like, you're supposed to go out and figure out a whole new skill set at that point. Uh-huh. Um, I think ultimately, like, they give you these jobs for the existing skill sets you have. But part of me huh. wanted to say to the world, hey, I'm not just this and then over the course of 18 months i was like oh i liked what i just was i liked that i was just that oh yeah you know and and i it took me a long time to get that good at the thing i was good at and i don't and there was a you know then i look back and i, I think oh that was very egotistical of me to think i'm <laughs> i'm going to be equally as good as this thing i just started as right. I, I am at the thing i put 12 and a half years into at that point.
0: It sounds like it was a very public identity crisis or rather it was almost like it could have been.
1: It could have been. I will <laughs> say I realized it was the public part that was uh, incredibly rewarding to hear is as soon as I sat down, literally not one person said, oh, I miss you standing. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, Like it was, there was not, hey, let's, let's uh, get the feedback. So feedback is important. I think it is nice when it backs up your what you have decided on your own, it's great.
0: Yeah. Do you ever think about that thing of like, I gotta listen to the negative feedback if I'm gonna listen to the positive?
1: Sure, I mean, we listen to uh, negative feedback as well. I, th- you know, and that was a case I should say where it was pretty resoundingly yeah. positive only. Yeah. Sure. Um, and in the lead up, I well, you know, one of the things that pushed us towards uh, sitting down in the first place was, I think listening to hmm. some negative feedback as well, which, you know, again, is is uh, is helpful. Sure. Oh, constructively. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. As it should be. Um, You've worked in this building since 2001. Yeah. And it's been pretty breakneck speed. Yeah. And you've somehow got like also a personal life and there's all of that aspect to it. Periods of doubt. Oh, yeah. And of.
1: I'm happy to talk about that. (laughs) Which again,
0: it's like you're in the public eye. So you can't exactly be like, I'm so depressed I can't function like on live TV. Like Right. But like anyone, you have periods of doubt and you have periods of. Yeah often we, on this podcast we talk about with working actors about their periods of dry spells or like lots of rejections. Yes. What's the
1: equivalent for you? Well, I, certainly the hardest part for me, and and I've spoken about this before, but you know, I you show up at SNL and you think, oh my god, I'm going to be the next Will Ferrell. And then uh-huh. you walk down the hall and you see the picture of Will Ferrell, but then you see the pictures of everybody else and you realize, oh, there's not, they're not all Will Ferrells. And there's some people mm. that kind of come and go very quickly on the show and mm-hmm. then by your second day you start thinking oh maybe I'm gonna be that one I'm gonna be the guy who comes and goes and huh. you know I was it was a real my first three years on the show I think if I I didn't have that writing skill set I don't know if I would have made it mm-hmm. and the other worst thing about uh, SNL and I'm sure this is true of, of any um, performer community but that one is so intensely close is mm-hmm. you are competing against the people who are your friends. And there's this finite amount of space. Wow. And oftentimes their good weeks line up with your bad weeks. There's very rarely mm. a time where everyone's collectively succeeding mm. uh, equally. Wow. And so, and then you start disliking yourself because not only are you not doing great, but you're also resenting uh, people you love you for love. doing well, which then makes you feel worse about yourself. And you're physically depleted and just... Stressed. Yeah. I, you know, I'm, nothing was worse than there were certain Thursdays where you, that's when you start rehearsing the show mm-hmm. at SNL, where you just wouldn't have anything. And they would say, You got the day off. And, and you would think, uh, You know, a day off should be awesome. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, you'd be like, Oh, I'm going to go see the dentist,
2: uh, <laughs> pick up once. my dry
1: cleaning. But then you just like sit. Yeah. You just, yeah. you don't want to be out and about. And, uh, hmm. you know, and the other weird thing about working at SNL is if you went, if you get on a sitcom, uh, that you know, it's a new sitcom. Not everybody knows what it is. They might mm. not all watch it. Like when you get on SNL, mm. like not only to all your friends, but your grandma knows what it is. Like they so all. Bizarre. There's and, nothing like it. Yeah, and so they all know exactly how well you're doing every week. Yeah, and it's not like, <laughs> how's that show doing? Oh, good. Yeah, the ratings are good. It's a one-one with a four in the demo. Like none of no. it. Like it's, it's just a real thing. <laughs> they know exactly how well you're doing, and yeah. so. Uh, yeah, it was really hard, and I was uh, for me the um, very much the life raft was getting to become a writer on the show as well, and oh. and then pretty soon after that, uh, finding my way to Weekend Update, and that was f- like being uh, the uh, writer on the show and being on Weekend Update was the first time that I thought, oh, I am now on most weeks giving as much to this show as I'm getting from it and it has not it had not been yeah. that case up to that point. I felt like I'd been stealing from the show.
0: And and you mentioned earlier the thing of like you were very much a smaller acting role than in these other scenes and so maybe something that was scripted but not a character. Yes. <laughs> More I was
1: speed. my range was very much lined up with Good evening, I'm Seth Meyers. That's I think <laughs> As far as the characters you're I'm best at, at it. Yeah. ideally me, okay. ideally sitting. I'm not even good at me standing. <laughs> sure. That's how le- that's how little my range is. I'm me in one position. But
0: you're one of the best sitters out there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but if you need Seth Meyers standing, they actually go out and cast it.
0: <laughs> Who do they cast? <laughs> Russell Crowe.
1: Russell Crowe, yeah. And then they tell him they has got to lose head weight. <laughs> <laughs> um
0: that's incredible. I wanna ask okay, I have to get to the audience questions. Oh great, audience questions. We have this audience is exciting. Questions, which That's, you well, said that you get all the time.
1: I do like audience questions. So I will We've never really done this. Maybe I'll be <laughs> honest if I if, if somebody asks me a question that I've heard a hundred times, I'll be honest.
0: Sure. Well, okay. and I do know that um <laughs> uh at Watchberry on HBO did ask what is your advice for young writers and comedians, which we already, yes. we already covered. Um Do you have a biggest regret from your time on SNL? asks, at Film
1: uh, I It really would be that uh, and again, we, we, we touched on it a little but, you know, and it's, um, I think it's true for everybody. I just wish that, and it got a lot better in the second half of my time there. I wish I'd been scared less so that I could appreciate that I was at this really magical place. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately I think that's not unique to yeah. me. Uh-huh. Uh, it's so great that you're worried it's going to be taken away. And That's so I wish mm-hmm. I had gone, you know, I wish that I could go back on my first day and have someone tell me, like, just so you know, you're going to be here for 12 and a half years. And then I really <laughs> would have enjoyed all of it. <laughs> uh, because maybe you were thinking even in short term. And so it's super stressful. You got to get it super right. Super stressful. And, you know, I this happens to a lot of people. There was a summer where. You know, you're supposed to find out, I think June 15th, whether or not they're bringing you back. And they said, hey, we'd like to wait till July 15th. And so, Ugh. and you just have to sort of wait a month because, and ultimately what they're saying there is, and we're just going to look around for a month. And as yeah. long as we don't find someone we like more we're than you, we would you. love to have you back. <laughs> and so that's a, just a, a scary thing to come. Yeah. And also, you just can't, comedy's a weird thing. You can't decide on Monday this is the week I'm going to be really funny. You just can't, Ah. you know, you can't work hard. It's not like going to the gym each week. And and if you just go and you just do the weights the way they prescribe you to do the weights, Mm. you're going to get stronger. Like it just doesn't happen Mm. at the speed you want it to happen. So,
0: And and, um, fear is not necessary. It is something that you would need a time machine from your future self to tell you to calm down. Yes. It's not really doable to just get rid of it in the present. It's really not. Yeah. Um what who has been the most influential person on your career says at Watchberry on HBL? <laughs>
1: uh, I mean, I would say there's two, uh, Amy Poehler. Um, I was really lucky to start at SNL with her because you know, I was already uh, somebody looked up to her and then she was this incredibly kind person. Mm. You know, we were new at the same time, but she was far more established than I was in show business. She'd already, you know, been on television shows, been in movies, and so, uh, she had her feet far more firmly planted on the ground and was very kind to take me sort of along on the ride with her hmm. and I think the fact that she treated me like somebody worth hanging out with was uh, was a real important currency for my time at SNL and then Mike Shoemaker who uh, was a producer there and now is my producer um, mm-hmm. he was um, somebody who always was very honest and I made a decision early on to, to trust and listen to him and that has not led me astray
0: amazing yeah it sounds like there's a lot of um in especially getting here in, t- in 2001 like being the least experienced and maybe even like the least knowledgeable person in the room is what's super helpful it's that thing of the ladder that you're throwing to other people yes and it sounds like that has been a commonality of like you've ended up never safe and comfortable no you've not mastered everything right there's always like room to grow
1: yeah i mean i think that especially with a show like this one right now where the you know when people do shows like these, they do them for a, a long time if yeah. they go well, and <laughs> so you have to. You know, I think that you can never say, "Well, this is it. We're doing it as good as it can be done now." You know, you ha- if you mm-hmm. ever assume if you ever assume that you've you've reached the pinnacle, like that's when I think you start it starts falling apart a little bit. Yeah. And there's always room to improve, and and the show uh, can change. So you have to look for ways to keep it changing.
0: Yeah. And I think you just—I think you do such an amazing job of that. No, oh, thank you. And you have wiggle room too. Like I loved that you said earlier that you write these sketches. You learn to write for other people, and I feel like the current iteration of that is jokes Seth
1: can't tell. Yes. <laughs> well, that is—I mean, that's mostly just getting to you know be in a three-shot with two incredibly yeah. talented performers, and you know it is because again, you know, we we tried in the beginning to have a lot of. Um, different backgrounds in our show and our writing staff. And, and one of the things about that was realizing, oh, different backgrounds at some point do write things that would be better delivered than by someone like me. And unfortunately, we have uh, a lot of people in our staff who are also performers. And so it, taking advantage of that has been a, a real blast.
0: And it was it kind of a group decision to, I kind of feel like you're one of the only late night people who is kind of meta about the writing and talks about the writer's room. Like, and what's going on in there and what worked and what doesn't, didn't. And like, a, when a joke bombs, you seem to really enjoy that.
1: Yeah, I just I enjoy <laughs> that. that it's, well, it's great. I mean, I've told so many jokes on television. It's, um, you know, we're coming up on 20 years. And I think if I, you know, if you count up the jokes I've told, you would think that I would never be wrong. At least, You know, I'm sure. not saying that I would... But I would never think they would work and then have them not. And that's still really funny to me. To re- and it's that great thing about comedy, which is, God, you'd think I'd know what would work now. Right. And I was so wrong. But like you said, every day is different. You don't wake up and be like, I'm yeah. funny. Every day is different. <laughs> every audience is different. But, um, you know, it's – uh, and again, like, I think there's that other thing of the jokes. We worked exactly as hard on the jokes that worked than the jokes that did. not Yeah, yeah. Um. You didn't half-ass anything. No. I, you know, I remember when I first started going to LA, I would I would take, like, just general meetings. When I was on SNL, and and you could get general meetings. You couldn't get cast in <laughs> things, but they would meet with you. And there were places where you'd go, in and there would be posters, so many posters on the wall of terrible movies, you uh-huh. know, that they had produced. Uh-huh. And I remember once saying to somebody, I'm shocked they have those posters up. And they were saying, they worked exactly as hard on that <laughs> movie as the ones that worked. You know, they yeah. that was, you know, a year of their lives. yeah, And they didn't. If they had a poster of a movie that worked in there as well, they'd worked exactly as hard on that one. Yeah, so, that's Showbiz. Uh, and so that was a. It's nice to remember that too. Sure. There, I think there's a, a kind of criticism that assumes, uh, and it's not much of it, but it was particularly true at SNL where people would say like, oh, I guess the writers, you know, know were hung over yeah. from a party this week, and I'm like, no, oh, no, no, just bad. Yeah, just we were like, we, but I promise you wasn't lazy. Just us. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. And that's almost the advice that comes from that is like work hard on everything. Mm-hmm. Every highbrow, lowbrow. If you think it's right. going to be terrible, you know, if you think it's going to win an well, Oscar. Well,
1: I mean, I think that's the great thing about SNL is you, I mean, the hardest working people in my era. And there were a lot of harboring people, but the Andy Samberg and the Lonely Island, those guys, you know, the most lowbrow humor that was treated yeah, uh, like the Sistine Chapel. I mean, the amount of work they put into it, the amount of, you know, they would bring you in to look at an edit and say, do you like it more this way or that way? And you could not tell the difference because it was such Whoa. a, uh, yeah. But yeah. they were just, you know, and they took it so seriously. And I think that's why those pieces endure e- even now. Like there was nothing about yeah. them just dashed off. Perfectionism is is kind of key. Yeah. Yeah, Certainly, and I don't know if there's any such thing as perfection in comedy, but mm-hmm. I think the people that aim for it end yeah. up closer. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, we had a lot of people asking about Frisbee. Oh, well, that's nice. How yeah. is
1: Frisbee? She's good. Um, <laughs> she is, for whatever reason, my uh, three-year-old and Frisbee never, uh, it never clicked, but uh, Frisbee's oh. super into our one-year-old, and he is uh-huh. uh, with her. And so there's a lot of um, licking and kissing oh. and laughing and... Uh, yeah so it's good I, you know we were a little worried she was it was gonna be uh, Frisbee was gonna be on the outside looking in but now I feel like oh. it's gonna be her and the one year old against the world it is like having three kids uh yeah although Frisbee <laughs> would would probably take issue of that and say like you guys are pretty you used to treat me like a kid you guys are definitely treating me like a dog now like a dog now <laughs> yeah. oh no um, and obviously we had lots of
0: people asking for like messages of hope for aspiring entertainers which is very much our podcast thing sure so I do want to ask that question, and then I want to get to what the backstage staff wanted to ask, which is, do you have a, a message of hope for Americans? <laughs> <laughs> which one do you want
1: first? Uh, actors first. Okay, actors first. Ugh. Yeah, you know, I would say that. It's... Or entertainers, I should entertainers, say. Entertainers, like, sure. Yeah. Um, I think my message of hope would be that you know, if you just, if you really believe you have something to say and something to share. Mm you have to put your heart into getting that message out there. And you have to, you know, if there's that message that's in you that you, be it your talent or be it something you want to say specific to the moment we're living in, uh, just keep working on your instrument. You know, if you're a writer, keep working on it. If you're a performer, keep working on it. Because if you value it, uh, there's a high likelihood that the audience will value it too. But they will, going back to what we were saying about hard work, like they're Mm going to see the work you put into it. And, uh, if you aren't going to put the work into it, the audience will tell that you actually don't think it's that important either. Mm. And then, from a distance, showbiz looks fun and easy. And uh, up close, it is—it's uh, fun and hard. It is still uh-huh. fun. That part's good. Yeah, but oh, it's that's hard. really good to hear. Yeah, yeah, oh, amazing. And then my message for America uh, <laughs> is that there—you know—there's never been a permanent moment in American political history it would be an incredible coincidence if this was the first one (laughs) uh so it's a good point there uh and there's these really nice opportunities uh to change things at ballot boxes and Mm. we saw it in the midterms and Mm. we have got another one coming up and it's actually farther away than you think based on how much people are talking about it but Mm. might as well register and do all those things (laughs) you're supposed to do but uh it's nice it's nice we live in a place that you know and, and uh you know, I think there there are probably a lot of people listening to this podcast. that think things are really bad right now, and I would uh, I would echo those sentiments. But mm-hmm. uh, we do still live in a place where we're allowed to to go and vote and, and tell people what we think. So uh, hopefully mm-hmm. um, there'll be a majority of people who uh, hold that opinion.
0: Yeah, oh, that was really good, Seth. Thank you. Lovely to meet you. This was so was great. Nice In the Envelope, an awards podcast, is recorded at Lotus Productions, Hyperbolic Audio, and Big Yellow Duck in New York City, and Soundbox LA, Mark Rouse Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Like, subscribe, tell your friends, tweet us at In the Envelope, leave a review. We want to hear from you. Visit Backstage.com for more content and resources for working artists, and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage with a free trial by using the code ENVELOPE at checkout. Thanks, as always, to podcast producer Wiz, Jamie Muffett. You can follow him on Twitter at Jamie Music NYC. You can follow me, Jack Smart, on Twitter, at Jack Smart Thank you to the team at Backstage, the most trusted name in casting Mark Stinson, Samantha Sherlock, Francis Ramos, Caitlin Watkins, and especially should be Oscar nominee Casey Howe. Thanks for listening.
1: I took a little issue with uh, Melissa trying to start the fire. Remember? Oh, just like being too um, slow at it? Well, since when are the magic powers like a Chevy in a horror movie? It was like, there was a few moments where I'm like, what? So, wait, what is it? It was cold? Yeah, but also, it's like, oh no, the fire went out. I'm like, when? How did you guys not? You have two dragons. You had a Two dragons. At- Where's the backup plan? Your and, like, dragons. And she wasn't like, scheduled to be there. She like- wasn't scheduled to be there. Right, exactly. And, but also, like, when, it, we've never seen her, one of her spells, like, all, it only worked on the eighth try.